0: A native of Detroit, Aaron Coleman grew up playing football and running track, but when he wasn't on the field, he could be found reading and writing poetry. He is now a Fulbright Scholar and Ph.D. candidate at Washington University. Recently, he sat down with St. Louis Public Radio contributor John Larson to talk about his poetry and his latest book, Threat Come Close. John began the conversation by asking Aaron if he was ever a rapper. Uh, You know...
1: Hip-hop was probably my first love. You know, I grew up listening to OutKast, particularly Andre 3000. I was a huge fan of the early Kanye West stuff, Tribe Called Quest. So, yeah, I think really for me, I know what was formative for me as a poet was the moments when way back when, well, I guess it's kind of way back when now with the CD playing again and again the same verse, rewinding a verse, hearing a sound. Hearing sort of how the metaphors were working and trying to catch my mind up in a way to the sort of flow that happens when um, a rapper raps. You know, in high school, it was a big thing to um, be at the lunch table or outside freestyling or whatever. And after a while, you know, I did that for so long that I said, maybe I should take some time and, and, and think about this before I start just saying whatever comes to my mind. So it was a great way to get invested in rhythm and sound and improvisation, but it was really just the first step, I think, and starting to get really more serious about the potential of poetry and letting it be something
2: that lives fully on the page and then also fully in sound. Why does it feel so good? It's so rhythmic. There's, I know there's math involved, mm-hmm. but it just it feels good. You get to slow it down, you say. In general, I think what poetry, like I
1: said, does for me is gives me a different way to sort of see myself and to think about memory and imagination. It's a different way to think about what words can do. And it, the thing that's tricky about that is we all use words all the time. We, we use them right now. We're talking, etc. But poetry is, a, is either elevated language or using language in some other way that allows us to see ourselves differently. And I think that that is a way that happens with poetry and that happens with hip hop. It's a way of redefining and defining ourselves. You have some pieces you brought with you. Would you read one? You know what I actually want to read is this poem that has to do with my grandmother. It's called Her Song, A Cliff, A Cage. And it's about this weird harp that was in her house when I was a kid, and I didn't know what to make of it. And I'll just leave it at that. How did it end up in that house? Hand-forged burl and bowl and shoulder, figure sheathed beneath cloth. What sunk and became the room, what was draped and standing, taller than this woman who made the woman who made me known. Restless wire sacrament. A hole made of music comes wide, inhuman, from a crooked instrument, a torso almost hollowed, rimmed in shades of pink and ivory, nothing black about this anchor. Beyond memory, She touched its strings, spilled improbable sound. I will always be a child to that harp. Confused, never allowed to touch. A deafening gleam when its music moved through lightless rooms, through walls and bodies alike. I became silence. I've become cumbersome as love I cannot hold. Then let me be that music that consumes midnight. Let me make chords with what comes from this blood. Wow. So, you know, poems, I I think when I think about the utility of poems, on one level they're doing a sort of reportage, I suppose, and they're telling stories. But they're also transforming stories. They're also transforming memories into reflections, perhaps even epiphanies. You know, that line in there, I will always be a child to that harp, I think, was for me a kind of a revelation in terms of the ways that I've moved away from home. You know, I grew up in the Detroit area and I haven't gone back um, yet. Uh, I go back to visit, but I'm just thinking about my relationship to home, thinking about my relationship to generations of family. Poetry is a space to work that out without any easy answers, but really embracing the complexity and embracing the music of it all.
2: As I was listening to you, I started to visualize my grandma's mm-hmm. living room. Yeah. And yeah, it, wow. I was listening to your words, but it, it was calming me. I went back to that kid place and I could feel that calm. Yeah, You also are a translator. Would a piece like this be easy to translate into Spanish?
1: Oof. You know, I do some self-translation. Translation is never easy because translation is all about nuance and it's all about the having a sense of what is needed in the receiving language. You know, I would have to think about relationships of grandmothers in Spanish, and that is harder for me. You know, for me, I usually am translating things in Spanish into English because of intuitive familiarity that you have with your your native native tongue. Although, you know, I've spoke Spanish for more than a decade now, but still I really feel like It's difficult to translate, but that's it should be difficult. That's the challenge. That's the good part. I wanted to go back to what you said just briefly about how it made the image come up for you of your own home with your own grandmother. And that's what I love about poetry is that it creates this opportunity where through the specifics that I'm speaking about, it opens up into a universal, hopefully, and it is a way for particular specific moments to resonate out in other people's lives in unexpected ways. Um, It's a real shared experience. Yeah, absolutely. It's a communal ancient thing. You know, Mm -hmm. people have been writing poetry-esque type things. Well, probably, you know, shouting them and speaking them and chanting them well before they were
2: writing them. The early rap battle days when they were (laughs) just budding homo sapiens. Right, the first rap battles, you know. (laughs) So a kid from Detroit, how did you get from A to B?
1: You know, I had a mentor who said, It only makes sense in the rear view. Just keep going. It only makes sense in the rear view. I actually don't know. I think that for me, the guiding principle has been put tools in your tool belt that you really love and just see how they can kind of fit together over time. So, you know, for me, I kind of stumbled into poetry. You know, I was, like I said, a huge fan of hip hop. And I didn't really have I didn't know that poetry was something that could be for me you know I you know poetry seemed kind of distant or you know something that was stuffy and and you know only a particular kind of poetry and once I realized that poetry could be for me and that I could write, then the next intuitive step was like, hey, other people need to know that poetry can be for them too and they should write if they you know want to have that as an instrument to the to express themselves so that got me into teaching when the opportunity to move abroad for a while to um, teach in Spain came about. I also spent some time in South Africa teaching as well. You know, being a kid from from the metro Detroit area, I really had never thought of traveling at that scale. I didn't know that that was even a possibility. And I also didn't know that, you know, people of color were speaking different languages and living in these countries all over the world. And so that got me from teaching to translating because I wanted to sort of find a way for that community, for those communities to be able to speak to each other. So it kind of went from writing to education to translation, and now it's just all of those. Poetry, it's either white poetry or black poetry. Do you come across that? Now I really, really appreciate Shakespeare, but I think when I was 15, 16, 17, I didn't know how to hear it, and there were other ways that could have been better doors for me into it. And so, yeah, I think that people think that when they talk about poetry that it has to be a certain way that it has to talk about only certain things like particular parts of nature or it has to have a certain register with thy and thou and everything has to rhyme no poetry can be poetry is about creative emotional associations i think so if you write a poem that is about your lunch table or a poem that is about the contents in your closet whether that's your actual closet or your metaphorical closet of all the things that you remember. The poems don't have to be any certain thing. All they have to do is be creative, hopefully sincere, hopefully usefully vulnerable, and uh create ways to connect. So yeah, I think, you know, I think there are sort of black and white ways, whether we think about that racially or just as a metaphor of black and white, well, poetry can or can't be this. But I don't think that's true. And that's what got me into education. And that's what keeps me writing is trying to expand the possibilities of what poetry is and can be.
2: What do you or who do you think of when you're reading a piece? Does that oh. change per piece for you?
1: Do you mean as an audience or do you yeah, mean maybe as thinking,
2: a... I'm, I'm reading this to this particular person or this particular audience? Mm-hmm. Do you do any of that?
1: No, not quite. I think that, you know, I have different poems that I would read in different circumstances. There are poems that I have that are straightforward narrative poems. And there are poems that are more connected by sound and rhythm and rhyme. There are poems that are sort of abstract and they get at different images and those images are linked together. I might read something different for one of my poetry mentors than I would read for a high school class I'm visiting, for instance. But the way in which I read it, I think, is always slowing down, letting the images really have time to resonate, letting whatever thoughts that feel most valuable to me, like, for example, again, that line, I will always be a child to that harp. That, to me, is really important in the poem. So I try to, when I read it, give space to that.
2: So it's kind of, you know, there's a performative aspect to it, certainly. And you are trending with Twitter, working poetry into a tweet. Can you tell me a little bit about that? You know, it's kind of funny because I'm not at all
1: familiar with Twitter, one way or another. But one thing that I think is important is that, again, as ancient as poetry is, it's always finding new ways and spaces to show up. People talk about, you know, is poetry dead, et cetera. Of course not. You know, everybody has a favorite lyric or song. Everybody remembers a turn of phrase. Everybody remembers some little fragment or something in language that's really valuable to them. And so the fact that poetry is popping up on Twitter and that NPR, you know, that hashtag NPR poetry is happening. To me, that's just a sign of the flexibility and the evolution of what poetry is and can be. So, yeah, I think that, um, I don't know what it means if I'm trending or anything like that, but I tell you what, um, I'm glad that poetry is finding new spaces and new people and new minds to connect with.
2: What's math's involvement in poetry?
1: Well there's a lot of ways that we could go into that in, in terms of talking about prosody or talking about rhythm or if we're talking about hip-hop talking about you know bars 16 bars etc i think that the maybe the most simple way to think about it is that rhythm has an inherent mathematic to it you know it's beat and silence beat and silence and so you know you could think of that as zero and one zero and one you could think of that however you want. So the connection, I think, for with poetry and math has to do with rhythm and momentum at a very basic level. And when we hear something and it feels like it's tumbling forward, it's because that pattern of rhythm is happening in a certain way. And when it feels like it's going to pause, it's because the equation has changed. So I think that, you know, for me, I'm in no way any kind of mathematician, but I do think that I'm, you know, because of that, love for hip-hop and, you know, what I've learned of prosody since then and also thinking about prosody across languages, you know, that the rhythm that is inherent to Spanish is a different rhythm that's inherent to English. All of those kinds of things have me always thinking about the potential of rhythm in music and sound. And music music, and math, as we know, are, are
2: very related. So, When people think of poetry, they associate hip-hop or rap, rhythmic mm-hmm. American poetry. Mm-hmm. But the same rhymes are in music. Mhm, what's the difference there?
1: you know I don't know i don't I don't think there is a difference. I think that they just happen to be it's kind of like different different genres you know it's just different ways of using rhythm, but it's still rhythm we're talking about, and it's still silence we're talking about, and it's still yeah i mean i I do think that the differences that we perceive between hip hop and other musical forms are less and less every day, and you know we can hear that on the radio I mean the top the pop 40 is now there's a lot of hip hop in there or something that's maybe a little bit beyond hip hop. And isn't it quite what
2: it was? You know, the evolution of hip hop is well on its way. I like how you put that well on its way. (laughs) I'm an old school guy. I was spinning on my back on cardboard. Yeah. yeah, Right. It's a different thing now. What, where could it possibly go from here? We will, we will see. Yeah. What was your experience in Detroit as a kid growing up? Did you have a lot of friends? Yeah, I did. You know, the funny thing for me was
1: I was an athlete. I was really into sports. (laughs) I played football my first two years at Kalamazoo College, but I played football, basketball and ran track when I was a kid. So I kind of kept the poems to myself. I didn't quite know that I could do both things. I didn't quite know that I could express myself in both those ways because I do think there's something artistic to to sport as well. So, yeah, I, I grew up kind of in between the suburbs and the city with family in the city and went to a school just outside of Detroit. My experiences there, I think, were formative in the sense that I always was trying to do both and rather than either or. And that has sort of been a theme throughout my life is that it's always, it's always been trying to find the creative way to do multiple things rather than saying, oh, you have to be only on this one particular track
2: what was that space like between the uber masculine running back quarterback and then the (laughs) defensive end defensive end oh yeah Yeah. you're hitting people there then (laughs) right and then the softer more sensitive empathetic side of yourself yeah what was that space in between
1: well I think that even when I think about the role of sports the way that I see them coming together if I can answer the question slightly differently is that there is a earnestness and vulnerability and really giving yourself completely to sport really giving yourself to the team there's a great intimacy there and great risk and I think when I was writing I also felt like I was giving myself and I still feel like I'm giving myself over to something that's bigger than me that hopefully has the risk is in sharing of myself this way hopefully it will connect meaningfully with someone else playing sports I didn't have the time to think in the way that I wanted to to write like I when I when it came time for me to quit my college football team the reason why I knew was because we were stretching before practice one day and I was l- laying on my back doing the stretches and I was looking up at the sky and it was a you know beautiful august september day early in the season and I couldn't quite see the clouds you know what I mean I couldn't quite hold on to the beauty of this amazing day that I was laying on my back in this grass. And I knew that I was, I was missing something. I knew that I maybe needed to put myself in another situation. And that was perhaps one of the hardest decisions ever was walking away from sports in that way. And I'm still a huge fan. I still follow everything.
2: Do you think the discipline of being an athlete helps poetry?
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. I think that, In order to be a dedicated athlete, you have to have a potential personal determination and a desire to, you know, there's discipline, there's patience, and there's sort of recognizing where your support comes from and recognizing what you need to do in order to get to the next level. And another thing is also, too, that in any given game, you learn what you can from it, whether you win or you lose. And then you have to just prepare for the next game. And that's how I approach poems, trying to get better all the time, trying to be a better listener, trying to be a better reader, trying to read more widely, pushing myself to really try to open myself to different kinds of poetry. And then also knowing that no particular poem is going to be 100 percent perfect or it's never going to be the poem where, "Ah, you know what, I wrote that poem, I don't need to write anymore. It's never going to be that way. Just like any
2: game, there's always the next game. There's no mic drops.
1: Right. The there's, no, yeah, there's, there's a couple mic drops, but, you know, they're all, you pick them back up, you know, and then you, you get back to, to, to writing and, and reading. So I think that sort of mentality of treating everything as a process and treating everything as practice for the next step is something that I know is key to my craft and definitely something that I learned while being a, a lineman. In football, and you know that's another thing too. Is as a lineman, I think I had a particular appreciation for everything that happens behind the scenes in a certain way. And I think in poetry, there's so many layers to it. There's the music and there's the images, but there's so much work that goes into finding the right right phrasing. So yeah, I'm in both scenes. In both, yeah, if we'll call them
2: scenes, I appreciate all the all the hidden work and all the hidden hands that make it possible. I always hear writer's block. Well, I can't write. I have writer's block. And then someone will do something to shift their state, try to get into the zone, and they sit down, and they try. I've had writer's block, mm-hmm. not particularly as a writer, but with music or other creative yeah. things. What do you do to solve writer's block when you're on a deadline? Yeah.
1: Hmm. I think the thing for me is usually what causes writer's block is for me, I don't I don't know if I really ever have it, but the thing that slows me up is expectation that I feel like I have to write a certain thing. It's got to be perfect. It's got to be about this. It's got to be about that. So the way that I try to get past that is to just free write whatever I write on the page. You know, I keep a journal. And a lot of times I feel like the journaling that I do is sort of decluttering or organizing the thought in a way that after that I can move to poems. So my advice, I think, for writer's block is to not worry about perfection, not worry about getting it right, and just begin to write things on the page and try to focus on images. I think that we get bogged down when we try to stick to how we're feeling. That's a sort of complex and abstract thing to express. But, like the poem I was reading earlier, you know, the harp was the focal point. Describing the harp is how I was able to get into thinking about everything about my grandmother. My family and my relationship to all of that, so there's always the desire to tell show you know show the image, and let the image speak because in your mind usually there's a you know whether it 's the sky or whether it 's a door or whether it 's a coffee mug or whether it 's the you know smoke lilting up from the coffee mug or something whatever image that is can be a doorway
2: into to opening things up What would you say to the young 10, 11, 12-year-old, A-type, male, football player, yeah. bicycle-riding kid who also has some of the sensitivity inside and is looking for ways to express. What, what would you say to that kid? Oh, my heart goes out to those kids so much. That
1: is, That was me in a lot of ways. I think um, I would say don't deny yourself anything that makes you feel alive, that you can be an athlete and a writer. Or you can be an athlete and a painter. You can be an athlete and a musician. You can be, you know, whatever strange combination uh that you want to be, because there's a window of time in, you know, middle school and high school where you're really going to think that, oh no, I'm not fitting in because I'm this way. I'm not this is a strange intersection of of, of qualities or interests. But as you go on in your life, at least what I've found, is that those strange intersections are, are what make us who we are. And that's the most exciting thing that will make you stick out of the crowd later down the road is the fact that you bring a unique set of skills and interests to the table. So if you can just sort of weather the storm of that early moment when everything is trying to tell you, be a man this way, be a man that way, and just be your own person, whatever that looks like, then what you come out with at
2: the other end will be your own unique you know, mosaic of you. Well, thank you so much for spending this much time it was great getting to know you, and what a pleasure to know that you are in St. Louis. And That's where, right. And where, where can people find the book, and where can they find you? Thank you. Yeah, no, it's wonderful to be here, too. I'm so glad to talk about all of this.
1: You can find the book here in St. Louis at Left Bank Books. I think it'll be at Subterranean Books soon. You can get it on Amazon, etc. all your online sites. Although the publisher, Four Way Books, would probably say the best place to get it is from the Four Way Books website. Um, so if you just Google Aaron Coleman Threat Come Close, it'll, it'll pop right up. And I'm at Washington University St. Louis right now working on my uh, Ph.D., which I'm still surprised at that fact, in the Comparative Literature Program's International Writers Track, which is a new track that came about three years ago for writers around the world and translators around the world to
2: come together and work together here in St. Louis. So it's great to be a part of that. The book is Threat Come Close by poet Aaron Coleman. Aaron, thanks for coming by. It's a real pleasure. Thank you.
0: That was poet Aaron Coleman speaking with St. Louis Public Radio's John Larson. Archived versions of past St. Louis on the Air programs are available for download or podcast at stlpublicradio.org slash stlonair. St. Louis on the Air is a production of St. Louis Public Radio 90.7 KWMU. Thank you for listening. I'm Don Marsh.